Our guest preacher this morning is a native of Northern Ireland and the current president and chief executive officer of Operation Mobilization USA. Andrew Scott is initially came to the United States to join OM to lead the recruitment department with a focus on college students. Over the years, he became aware of the huge potential for a mass movement of millennial generation believers to change the face of international missions. Andrew has recently completed writing his first book entitled Scatter. This work examines the unique challenges faced by the modern day missions movement. And it proposes very creative solutions for success in this new day. His desire is to inspire a new generation to scatter into the hardest, furthest, and darkest parts of the world where they may experience an incredible adventure with God. Andrew makes his home in Atlanta, Georgia, where he plays in an indoor soccer league almost weekly. And after visiting over 75 countries, he still enjoys international travel, especially when scuba diving is included. By far, however, his greatest joy in life is sharing his life with his lovely wife, Sharon, and watching his children, Anna and Daniel, grow into incredible Christ-centered adults. It's with great pleasure that I introduce to you Mr. Andrew Scott. Good morning, everybody. It's a wonderful privilege for me to be with you here this morning. Thank you, John, for your warm words. Thank you to Dan and the leadership team for this opportunity to share with you this morning. It's a, just a joy to be up here at Christ Church at Oak Brook. May God continue to bless you as a congregation as you seek to be his witnesses both here and around the world. <clears throat> you know, I the book that John mentioned, it's just some a little bit of my journey uh, over the last number of years as I reflected on what was God doing in the world today and how much we still had to have to do. And it's available over at the bookshop along with one of my co-workers' books called Embracing Our Priestly Nature at Work. And you can avail yourself of that. Just uh, not that long ago, I was standing on top of a very tall tower in a city in the Middle East. As I looked over a city its sandy buildings, buildings stretched right out to the desert where the desert continued on for countless miles. The minarets of the mosques dotted the landscape and the air was filled with the sound of the call to prayer. And I was taking in this scene, six million people in this city going about their daily work. And as I was looking across the city, our leader in that part of the world came to me and said, Andrew, do you know that in this city, of six million people, we do not know of any followers of Jesus. And I remember in that moment, it was like my eyes, my heart, my brain contrived together and took a snapshot of that moment. And as I tell you this story this morning, I can vividly see where I was standing that day as God impressed that in my heart. I don't know about you, if that ever happens in your life, if you have snapshots you pull out from time to time of, of significant moments. Another one was just a few months later, I was driving through a slum in Africa, and all of the 
the, 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 the scenery and the setting still comes back to mind. The ladies in, in multicolored dresses selling their little tomatoes on the side of the road, all stacked up in pyramids. Behind them, the little gray buildings where the drunk men were fighting with one another, shouting at one another, the children playing on the street. And it was one of those children that caught my eye, a beautiful young girl with multiple braids with beads on it. Her dress was polka dot. Her face was covered in dust, as was everything else. And tear tracks had been cut down through the the dust in her cheeks. And just as our eyes met as we drove past, our leader from that area told me, he said, Andrew, I was told by local leaders that every young girl in this slum will be raped before she reached the age of 10. Another snapshot. You know, the reality of our world today is that the church is growing like never before. The church has more resources like never before. But in the midst of that, there are over 3 billion people in our world today that are within what we call unreached people groups. That means they will be born, live, and die without ever hearing the gospel. They will be born, live, and die in situations like that young girl because when the gospel is not present in a community, stuff like that happens. And I don't know about you, but that that doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with me that, that today when we have so much, especially here in the West, that that reality exists in our world. Three billion who will be born, live, and die without ever hearing the gospel. That doesn't mean that they will, they will just not come to know Jesus. It means that no one lives or, or, or is trying to bring the gospel to them in their region. In fact, we have only 13,000 of our missionary forces, we call them, 13,000 cross-cultural workers are trying to change the reality of the least rates. You know, folks, that statistic, if you, if you start to put the 0.00% behind the total body of Christ, is so insignificant that if you were to do a survey, a statistical survey, and say, does the church of Jesus Christ today care about the unreached? The answer would come back and say, well, statistically, the evidence is insignificant. Just recently, I was sitting in a coffee shop in, in a similar part of the world, and the crowds, it was the Muslim world, were just just coming past me in their droves. And I was overwhelmed by this reality that, that we, as the Christian church in that region, had just a handful of workers. And I thought, how will we ever change this reality if that is the sum total of our resources that are poured towards that part of the world? This can't go on. And I believe that part of the issue is, is that our perspective uh, needs to change, or our models need to change, that, that we cannot continue to think in the Christian church today that mission and ministry is something we delegate to a few that we call pastors and missionaries. That is not a biblical idea. That we're, that we're going to say we're going to reach the world by a few people that, that we pray for and we give our money to, and they're going to go and reach these three billion people. Part of the reason why it is three billion is that's because that it is because our model has been just that for the last decades. Because when I look at Scripture, I see something different. So our perspective needs to change. Missions is not something that a few are called to. And secondly, I think there's a, a, a priority problem or a me problem. And, and for so many of us, we, we, we live in a, one of two camps, I think, and everything in between. You know, some of us have, been, have, been, have grown up to believe that, that we will amount to nothing. We've been told in our life that, that what we have to offer isn't enough, that we're not worthy. 
And so we live our life in that mindset that, that I have nothing to offer God. I have nothing to offer the body of Christ. I have nothing to offer the world. And I'm just going through life in that, with that mindset. I remember when I was a kid, my school teacher, my chemistry school teacher, told a bunch of us who got a, an experiment wrong that we would never amount to anything in life. I was telling Dan and John this morning that, that four of us ended up being pastors. I don't know if that amount, that in his mind, actually says that we amounted to nothing or not, but, but we were told that. And then some of the rest of us were told that, that you can be anything you want in life, and so off we went to become the anything we want. And we set our goals, we set our dreams, we set our ambitions after something that we contrived in our own heart or something that our parents told us to be. And off we went and we studied and we worked hard and we, and, and we gathered resources and, and we have it all worked out. And, and, and we're trying to become that something. And if you're in that camp, you will probably have already realized that that something, the goalposts keep changing and the something is never enough. And so as the body of Christ, I believe both our perspective and our priorities need to change if we're going to change the reality of the least reached in our world. Because I believe God has something different, something more. Why would I want to be anything I want to be when I can be everything God made me to be and do everything he has for me in the world? And what is that? What is that? Well, we're going to look at Scripture. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 1, I'm going to read out of a different translation, but it's because it's a familiar passage, I still it's good for you if whatever translation you have in front of it. But as you do that, I want to just I want to tell you a story about a bird that I had. You see, just as the messages of the world have come in and shaped how we live our life and, and shaped our identity, either we think we'll amount to nothing or we're chasing something that we've contrived in our own mind, those messages force us to live a certain way, but they shape our lives a certain way, and we live accordingly. And, and, and often this crisis of identity, who we think we are and what we're going after, often shapes our, our purpose in life. You know that, the, you know as business, many of you are businessmen in here, businessmen and women, you know that the who and the why of your business will shape the what. And if you get the who and the why wrong, the what will never be as focused as it should be. And a crisis of identity leads to a crisis of purpose. Well, Rudy was a, an Amazon, a yellow-naped Amazon parrot. Now, that means he was about the size of a crow, was green, and had a little yellow nape or patch in the back of his head. He was hand-raised by a woman from North Carolina. And he talked like a woman from North Carolina. In every sense of the word, a lot, loudly, and, and with a North Carolinian accent. He was hand-raised by her, so that meant that from a small chick, this woman was his parent. This woman was the thing that he took his, his, uh, uh, his lead from. And so poor Rudy, and we think he was a, a male, we're never we're sure, but Rudy didn't know that he could fly. His wings were never clipped, but he couldn't fly, or he didn't know he could fly. And he would sit there in his perch in our living room, and he would shout at the kids. He would, he would be giving them orders and he would sit up on that perch. From time to time, he would decide he wanted to go somewhere. He would climb down his perch and walk around the floor awkwardly because parrots were never created to walk on the ground. They were created to soar above the trees. But because of the message that was put in his head when he was a small child, or the lack of the right message, Rudy never flew and never reached his potential as a parrot. It's my prayer this morning that as you walk out of this building, you will be sure of who you are, your identity, and that it will shape how you live your life. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and he chose us, that's God, 
to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundations of the earth. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for us, his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And his unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. So Paul's telling us something pretty special here. And I want you to get this. Because if we miss this point, everything else will not make sense. Paul is telling us that we as humanity were the thing, were the thought, were the idea that God had before he created the universe. Paul's saying before he did anything else, before he laid the foundations of the universe, God had us on his mind. God had us in his heart. The Godhead decided as they lived in community, what if we could have a whole family, a whole family of people that we would love, we would choose to love them, even though they would go their own way, we would choose to love them, we would adopt them into our family, we would give them the full rights of our family, which is a mind-blowing idea that we are the inheritance of God. And that we inherit everything that is coming to the family of God. This is what God had in mind for us. That we were not the afterthought of God on the sixth day of creation. We were the first thought of God and everything else was created so that we could exist. and And that we would be the children of God. That we would live with this identity. An identity declared and determined by the Godhead before creation began. An identity for a people so that they could live under that reality, not an identity they would forge for themselves because the creation never forges their own identity. The creation always should live out the identity the Creator made them to have. Peter says this. I love this, this passage of Scripture. But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. And at one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet. But now you are drenched in it. That's who we are. We are God's people. So those of us who thought we will never amount to anything or we're not worthy with nothing to offer, God's saying, no, 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 no. You are my children. You're a royal priest. You belong to me. That's who you are because of Jesus. And for those of us who are maybe chasing our own dreams, say, no, 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 no. Why would you be anything you want to be when you can be everything that I've created you to be? You're my child. I have something much more, something better. And so that's the first thing I want you to see this morning because we need to get this. If your identity is right, your purpose will surely follow. That you're a child of God. And just... As Jesus, the Son of God, in, in John 16 and 17, lives out or, or describes the role of a child of God, as he, he, he being the Son, he said, Father, I've done everything you've told me to do, and as I've done it, I've brought glory to you. And then he, t- he tells the disciples that, that the Spirit is coming, part of the Godhead, and he's saying that the Spirit is going to do what I tell him to do, and as he does so, he's going to bring glory to the Father. We as the children of God, part of that Godhead, our role as part of the family of God is now to do everything the Father tells us to do. 
And as we do, we bring glory to God. So this speaks to our purpose. Our identity as a child of God brings with it a role. Our relationship brings with it a role to bring glory to the Father. You see, you were made for a purpose. Yes, you were made as a child of God, but with that comes a role. And and Paul goes on down to say this in chapter 1, verse 12 of Ephesians. God's purpose. So Paul's saying, God did all this. He made you his child. He adopted you into his family. He loved you. And he did it for this reason, that you would be for the praise of his glory, that you would bring praise and glory to him through your life. And so just as our identity is determined by our creator, so is our purpose. Our purpose is not something that we have to go define for ourselves. I meet so many people in life and say, I'm still working out my purpose. Stop. It's already been determined. We don't get to determine our purpose as creation. It's been determined for us, and it's a wonderful purpose. You know, so often we live our lives as, as, as we're the picture, that, that it's all about us, and we, and, and we get our goals, our dreams, our, 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 our vision together, and then we say, God, would you come be a part of my life? It's like a, a puzzle piece. Every, every piece of our life is a puzzle, and our job, our family, our sports, our, whatever it is, it all goes into our picture, and then say, God, would you come be a piece of my picture? Would you come and bless my picture? I want your presence in my picture. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I'm the picture, and you're a piece of my picture. And when you're in my picture, it's complete, and the world will know that I am God. And a big part of the reason why there are three billion in the world that there's, is because too many people have not put their peace in God's picture. Now, God's purposes are going to be fulfilled. Don't get me wrong. But our part is to be part of God's picture and to put our peace in that picture. I need to move on. We were made for a relationship with God because we're his children. We were made for a purpose. We have a role as his child. And Jesus was pretty clear about this when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And, and all of the laws that are in the land and all of these things that we're trying to follow Jesus, what, what is the most important? And he pull, pulled it out, just the same thing. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind, all your mind, relationship, and love your neighbor as yourself, role. Paul said, there are two greatest things that I count everything else rubbish against. It's this, to, to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. Philippians and Acts, our relationship and our role. And then thirdly, not only are we a child of God, made for the purpose of God, we were uniquely shaped for the purpose of God. Uniquely shaped, S-H-A-P-E. Rick Warren came up with this acronym many, many years ago. I didn't come up with it, but if you want to know more, I have a whole chapter in my book dedicated to this idea that in Ephesians 2.10, in the context of everything Paul has already said and what I've been saying is that God has made us for a relationship and it comes with a role. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying this, that before God made you, he thought of what he wanted you to do and then he made you accordingly. He made you in such a way that you could do the good works which he prepared in advance for you to do. Isn't that incredible? That we're not made all the same. Now, if you haven't worked that out yet, maybe you need to get out more. We're all different. We've all different personalities. We've all different abilities. We've all different passions. And Rick Warren laid out with this acronym SHAPE. We've all different spiritual gifts, and those spiritual gifts have been given to us 
for the uh, building up of the body of Christ. Wonderful. We've all accepted that as, as Christians. That's been a big part of what we talk about in life. But then maybe we haven't talked much about the H-A-P-E, heart or passions. We all have passions, things that make us angry, things that make us sad, things that, that bring great happiness. And I believe that even those passions have been given to you by God because Paul tells us that everything was made by him and for him. There was nothing that was made that is not made by God and made for God. Therefore, my passions, the things inside of my heart that when I think of them, they bring great joy or when I think of them, they bring great sadness are from God. And in Christ, they are redeemed and restored to be used now for what? For the purpose to which I was created. So if you're passionate about music, God give you that gift, that talent to be used for his glory. If you're passionate about sports, if you're passionate about business, if you're passionate about art, whatever it is, God put that in your heart. Pay attention to it. And this is in the missions world for years. We said, those are the things you have to give up and come do this thing we call ministry, whatever that is. But I believe what I'm reading in Scripture is this. No, 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 no. I've given you that thing. And when you're passionate about something, something wells up. Do you remember the, the movie Chariots of Fire? Eric Liddell says in it, when I run, in his good Scottish accent, when I run, I feel the presence of God, the pleasure of God, sorry. When I run, I feel the pleasure of God because it's a passion. And, and God has given me this to be used for his purposes. Uh, abilities, A, we've all got natural abilities. Some of us are really good at business, engineering, medical, sport, arts, whatever the case may be. God has given us those abilities, and that's the way we live out our life for His purpose. Personality, all different personalities, all different E experiences, vocational experiences, educational experience, life experience. God has given us these things and shaped our life very uniquely so that as we live that out in the unique way that God has given us in the place where He's placed us, we live it out and do it for what? Do it for His glory. And when we embrace our shape, when we say, thank you, God, for making me this way, I'm not trying to be something I'm not. I'm not trying to be like somebody else. I'm going to be who you made me to be, and I'm going to be the best at it I possibly can be, because this is the thing that I believe you've made me to do, and I I enjoy doing it. Therefore, I'm going to do it for your glory. Now, I'd love to unpack this further, but I don't have the time. But pay attention to how God has made you, because Paul said he made you that way so that you could do good works. And so if you're a businessman, go out and be the best businessman you can possibly be. Whatever you do, do it for his glory. If you're a nurse, go out and be the best nurse you can be. A plumber, be the best plumber you can be. A teacher, be the best teacher you can be. Because you were put on the planet. If you're good at it and you love doing it, I believe it's part of what God wants you to do on this planet. Because it's only when everyone in the body of Christ understands how they're made and then goes and, and does it, will the world truly see really see the glory of God and, 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 and come to understand who God is. You know, I've traveled all over the world. I think it's 85 different countries now. I've seen amazing scenes like the, uh, the Great Barrier Reef, the Alps, Petra in Jordan, just amazing things. And I've stood there and I've gone, wow, isn't God amazing? Isn't he amazing as I look at his creation? But here's the reality, that when a follower of Jesus understands who they are, and starts to live their life for the purpose for which they were created, and starts to live out of who God has created them to be so that they can be the best at what they can do. When we do that, we are the most brilliant reflection of God's glory on the planet. 
Now, I don't know if you believe that or not, but that's what I see in Scripture because we are made in God's image. Nothing else was. We have the Holy Spirit inside us. And we were made for good works and we were shaped uniquely. And when we go do that, we reflect God's glory. We reflect who God is on the planet. And I can tell you something, the glory of God is incredibly attractive. And I hope that we as God's people are seeking to reflect that back to the world. And it will only happen when we understand our identity, our purpose, and our unique shape. Mary was a, a young lady who went to, South, to a country in the world uh, to be a nurse, and she went there to be that onto the glory of God. And every day she told me I would go on to the ward and I would just be the best nurse I could be. And it was a Muslim country. And so often she said, many people would come to her and say, hey, Mary, you're such a good person. You should really be a Muslim. And she would say to her, well, tell me one reason why I should become a Muslim. And she said, nine times out of 10, they couldn't come up with a reason. But the one time it wasn't that co convincing. So she would always turn to them and say, well, can you, t can, will you allow me to tell you why I'm a follower of Jesus? And of course they did. Yeah. Tell me why you follow Jesus. And she said, every day I got to share about Jesus on the ward. Why? Because they saw Jesus in me first. And then as Peter said, we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. And sometimes I wonder if people are not asking for a reason for the hope that lies within us, maybe they see no hope in our life because we're not living out the, our life for the right purpose and the glory of God. But may we all be Marys as we go out into our world today, living our life for the purpose of God, being the best at what we can be because that's what God made us to do and that's what God made us for. And then finally, not only are we his children loved by him, not only does that bring a purpose with it, his purpose, and he's uniquely shaped us to do that. Finally, I want to tell you that the, the whole world is on your job description. You know, for too long, we have delegated missions to a few, or we've segmented missions into this idea that if I pray, that's my part, or if I give, that's my part. But nowhere in Scripture do I see that dichotomized view of life. In fact, the Hebrew way of thinking is that all of life is to be lived for the purpose of God. And so pray, give, and go is part of all of our life. Now, the first place to start when we talk about this uh, is the whole idea of leaving this place on a Sunday because you come here not to do ministry. This is where you get equipped to do ministry. And then you leave and you go out into the world to do ministry. What's ministry? It, I believe it's living out all of your life for the glory of God wherever God places you, whether it's in the factory or the business office or the hospital or the street, where, the, the school, wherever it is. Going out and living that out in this community, wherever God has placed you for his glory, loudly and clearly that many will see the hope that lies within you and you get the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. One thing is clear in my mind that if we're going to change the reality of the least reached, we as the body of Christ have to change uh, our priorities within our life. Because you know this, as, if you're in business at all, or if you're in any sort of a company that, that's focused that, that when you understand who you are and, wh and, and why you exist as a company, every, the what, everything we do gets wrapped around that purpose and all of our resources go towards it. But you know, here's the reality. I told you that only 13,000 of us are out among the least reached. You know that 
Christians, we as Christians only give 2% of our income to Christian causes. 2%. That's the new 10, I guess. Out of that 2%, 5% leaves the U.S. Out of the 5% that leaves the U.S., only 1% goes to changing the reality of the 3 billion. That's 1% of 5% of 2%. We spend more money on Halloween costumes for our pets than we do on changing the reality of the least reached. Yet we have been created as children of God for this purpose to reflect His glory in the world. That's our why and who. And He's uniquely shaped us to live out our life for that purpose, the what. And if we are going to change the reality of, which I, of what I have just expressed, then many of us have to take a step forward and say, you know what, God, I, I believe this is what you've created for me for. And therefore, my priorities are going to be aligned to that. Not my plan, not my dream, not my vision, but your plan for my life. And my priorities are going to be aligned to that, and, and it's going to affect my giving, and it's going to affect my praying, and it's going to affect how I live my life wherever you've placed me. And I'm going to live it out brightly here in this community. But here is what I want to say as I close. You know, so often at this point of a missions message, we say, and maybe a few of you will go. But that's not my message to you because I believe that we've gotten this wrong. Because the whole world, I believe, God has put in our job description. He said in, in, in Genesis 1, when humanity was standing in, fr- in front of him in naked innocence, he said, I want you to go be fruitful and multiply, fill the whole earth. Jesus put it this way, would you go make disciples of all nations? In other words, would you go make more of who I made you to be so that all nations will have disciples? It wasn't to a few, it was to everyone. And so some of you, I want, to, I want you all to consider, for those who are physically able to go, would you go somewhere in the world and do what you're doing here, but do it there for the glory of God? And that's one of the big ways I believe we need to change in the mission world, and we in OM are trying to, to change that. We're, we're trying to, how do we find jobs for people overseas to go live and work and live out their faith in the marketplaces of the world so that God's glory will be seen in the furthest and darkest places? And it's only going to happen in a scalable way if it can happen sustainably that we, people don't have to raise support to go do that because that is not going to scale up. And that's what we're trying to do. And I believe that many more could go if we could do that and live out God's purpose for them. Peter was a budgie or a parakeet, another bird I had. He was a little tiny yellow bird. He had a pigeon chest. That's why I had him. He couldn't, couldn't fly very well, I thought. Every time he flew around the room, twice he, he, he landed on the floor gasping out of breath. One day, Peter got out of the house. I was upstairs. He flew downstairs. The front door was open. Out he went. My mother screamed, Peter's gone. I was running down the stairs in blind panic. Fifteen years old, my pet had just left me. I was devastated. As I was running down the stairs, I was struck by this thought. Peter can't fly. He'll be sitting in the front yard panting. I ran out the door looking for Peter everywhere. No sign of Peter. I looked up and there he was, soaring around the sky like an eagle. Peter could fly, but the problem was in his environment. The thing that was imposed on him caused him to not be able to live as he was created to be. And my prayer for you is the prayer that Paul prayed over the Ephesians at the end of Ephesians 1 as he laid out what I've just shared with you this morning, and it's this. 
I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. Verse 18, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is, the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in you, his holy ones. Paul prays, I pray that you will understand who you are. Secondly, I pray that you will understand your role. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be this. Listen to this. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. I pray that your life, because you know who you are, you know why you exist, you know what you're to do, that your life will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. Amen.